Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. The Sewer Show. Squatters and unwaged airwaves. Presenting views, news and interviews from the Centrelink queues. Information on your squatting, legal and other rights. Troublemaking news from around the world. Coming at you every Friday between 5.30 and 6.30pm on 3CR. Welcome to The Sewer Show. This is 3CR, 8.5am on your dial. So just quickly before we start, we want to acknowledge today that this show is being broadcast on the Wurundjeri land of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Colonisation has been created and continues to create a devastating process of genocide and dispossession. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and actively work to decolonise our spaces, ourselves and our communities. Okay, so getting into the show. Hi there, my name's Suze and Anissa will be joining me later. And we're from Doing It Ourselves, a local group that's focused on raising awareness about the need for broad systemic change. We host the Squatters and Unwaged Airwaves show on the third Friday of every month to discuss structures of oppression. We aim to encourage resistance and raise awareness of alternatives, because they do exist, y'all. I want to shout out today to Luke, who's helping us panel. Hey, Luke. He's giving a nod. And today we're joined in the studio by Saul. Afternoon. (laughs) So today we're wanting to talk about homelessness. The majority of homeless people are men. Men aged 35 and over make up the majority of those who may, pla- may, who may be classified as chronically homeless. We wanted to explore experiences of homelessness because it's such a huge issue in Australia. The census reports that, not, that homelessness in Australia has increased 13% in the last five years. Homelessness is an obvious outcome of systems of inequality where certain people slip through the cracks in a capitalist system which oppresses those who are already struggling. And chronic homelessness is often linked to addiction, financial crisis, mental illness, and multiple indicators of disadvantaged. Younger men aged 15 to 24 report family breakdown as a common cause of homelessness. And at the last census, 1,600 people were counted as being homeless, and 58% of those were men. So today we've brought in Saul into the studio, who's a self-proclaimed vagabond, Mm -hmm. who's been homeless for some time now. And later on, my comrade Anissa will interview Mills to talk about experiences of homelessness and comment on the services available. So jumping in. First off, my friend Saul. Hi, Uh, Suze. How are you doing? Yeah, well, how are you doing? Yeah, really well. Thank you so much for coming in today. Such a pleasure. (laughs) Saul's been living on and off the streets for years now, sometimes Mm -hmm. setting up his hammock in parks and public spaces and other times being at friends' houses, crashing on couches. Mm. Um, He shifts around with his minimalist pack and it's no doubt been an interesting Mm -hmm. journey. So I want to thank you for sharing your story and maybe let's begin at the very beginning. Oh, all the way back. All the way back. All the way back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know it's a long story and we obviously don't have sadly enough time for all of it. So we're just going to get little snippets where we can. But first off the bat, what's your experience of homelessness? Ah, It's a a big question. Mm. Um, I think there's been kind of two distinct chapters to my homeless career. <laughs> nice. An oxymoron, if ever there was one. I don't know. I like that. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was kind of pretty traditionally homeless, and that happened. Uh, I was raised in a cult. I was raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. 
and a few days before my birthday on Christmas Eve, at the age of 24, I was excommunicated from the cult. Wow. Which uh, is a pretty pretty simple thing. It means that uh, from an announcement at church, that point there is uh, no one in the organization that talks to you. No one that talks to you at all? No, not at all. It extends to my family and all of my friends and all of the networks I've ever had. So that was uh, difficult to say the least. This mm. is kind of the first part of the homelessness where I was uh, asked to leave my house because I lived with Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. was fired from my job because I worked for Jehovah's Witnesses. And uh, everyone that I knew, including my family, were Jehovah's Witnesses, so they wouldn't house me. So I lost all of my possessions. <clears throat> they were uh, just left in the house that I left. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say probably like... Uh, Maybe eight months of deep depression, deep mm. despondent depression. Understandably. Yeah, where it was pretty hard to kind of remember that, you know. It was such a fa- uh, hot fog mm. and a haze. I really have a glimpse in mem- memories of that whole time. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the first traditional uh, dude with no possessions sleeping mm. on park benches, trying to find food, trying to find shelter. So that was just sleeping find- rough as Yeah, rough as, could, as yeah. I could, yeah. I would have a sleeping bag, just one sleeping bag that I picked up from a homeless person. And uh, I'd use that either as a pillow or as a sleeping bag and sleep on benches in and around the city. Wow. And mm. was that in Melbourne, Sydney? Where was yeah, that? mainly Sydney. Yeah, mainly, yeah Sydney. mainly Sydney. Yeah, be a hard place to sleep rough, I can imagine. Yeah, it's cold. Yeah, mm. yeah <laughs> cold and brutal. And such an intense trauma to go through at a tender age to be losing all of your support networks, not a single person from your old life that you yeah. were able to reach out to. Yeah, quite surreal, quite surreal. Mm. I've been a very different person to the one that you know me as. Mm. Up until then, I've been deep in the propaganda and had never imagined a life outside of uh, these kind of uh, Christian, Christian, Christian goals. Mm. And uh, pretty quickly caught up to the idea that I was way out of whack with uh, ethics and morals and values, and I was actually a pretty ugly person, very judgmental. I didn't like many things about myself. So mm. that's when I started to rebrand and, uh, <laughs> and then kind of was born again. <laughs> What again, Christian, without the Christian <laughs> ethic or <laughs> dogma. Oh, so that was eight months of sleeping rough. And, yeah, yeah, in which time you were trying to sort of trying to just figure out how to survive, really, I suppose. I don't even know. Yeah. I don't even know what I was doing. Mm. You know, that was like so many different layers of having uh, lost yourself. You know, like I lost my faith in God, which had been the backbone of my whole life. I lost my family, who had been how I was, uh, you know, that was my past and my history. Mm. And uh, I lost myself in, like, the truest sense of realizing, like, oh, I don't like myself. And Mm. and beyond that, I don't actually know myself. You know, I only know the prescribed version that I was trying to be. And uh, I didn't dictate any of that. All those things were outside of my control from Mm. the youngest age I can remember. So, um, yeah, I got grown. Mm. And then uh, the more fun, less sad part of the story starts. I think that I kind of transitioned to (laughs) vagabonding, which is really how you you know me. That's how we met that's when that we point. met, yeah, the intersection <laughs> yeah. of vagabonds. And just for listeners out there, Saul, can you define what a vagabond is yeah. according to, like, you know, folklore or whatnot? Yeah, a vagabond is uh, someone that chooses to not have a home. And a bum is someone that doesn't have a home and will beg for money and whatnot, whereas a vagabond is someone who is, at least in my conception, taking that on a bit more mindfully, a bit more consciously. So, mm. And that's sort of like um, jargon, you know, terminology yeah. that's used in American sort of squatting yeah. and homeless folklore, I suppose. Yeah, from the yeah. beatnik era. And just to clarify as well, there's, it can be quite a lot of pride used in those terms mm. as well. Like yeah, bum is not so. used necessarily derogatory in yeah. this context. Um, and yeah, vagabond is almost like a romantic idealization yeah, of homelessness yeah. as far as I can tell. Yeah, very true. Mm. Yeah, I think that in the more kind of personal way, I started to think of myself as a vagabond. 
And I started to think, hey, I actually like this lifestyle. Like, I actually enjoy it. And there were a lot of homeless people around me that I didn't really identify with. There's a lot of uh, mental illness and drug addiction on the streets, and I didn't see myself as having those things. Mm. I was depressed for a long time, but that seemed like a pretty healthy reaction to the situation I was in. Mm. So, um, yeah, I would meet other people in street life. I would think, like, if I want to do this for a lifetime, which is still the plan, mm. I want to do many decades of living without a home and traveling around the world, living through my pack, <laughs> then uh, how do I do that sustainably? And how do I do that in a way where I'm not victimizing myself and I'm kind of beyond the boundaries of what people think a homeless person is. Mm, I really love the idea of you breaking down conceptions of uh, social yeah, constructs. Mm. Um, and also the idea that you want to do it as minimalist and as sustainable mm. as possible. That yeah, has no, always no. intrigued me about your persona. Um, sort of ethical, I mean, that's my construct is uh, <laughs> ethics and sustainability. But I, I really appreciate it from like um, an unwaged perspective as well. The mm. minimalism mm. is um, aspirational. Yeah, I guess to fill in the listeners, uh, the first leg of that homelessness, I had two packs. I called myself the two-bag man. I had a suitcase, which had a, a big microphone in it, and it had a soundboard in it, and I had these ideas of I would make music and whatnot. And I had all of these trinkets and whatnot, uh, and didn't take long to realize I need to get rid of the second bag, and I need to get to one bag. Um, you know, that became a 50-liter about 15 kilogram pack that I was traveling with, did the East Coast a whole bunch of times. Mm. Uh, the next incantation of my vagabond adventures will be through Europe in a 20 liter, maybe seven, eight kilogram bags and yeah. become more dedicated to minimalism and, uh, and realize how to do it better. Mm. And when you say realized how to do it better, like when I met you, you were sleeping in hammocks, you know, mm. um, as I said earlier. So that's sort of one of the ways in which you figured you could do it better in terms mm. of lightweight, but also um, easily portable. Yeah, I guess that um, kind of stealth becomes a big factor. Mm. A lot of the people that live the nomadic lifestyle that I do, they don't like society. They don't like city. That's why they've done it, to um, put themselves outside of that. But that's not me at all. I really enjoy people, mm. and I really find comfort in being in the city, uh, a comfort, I think, akin to people that feel it in nature. You know, I feel a sense of ease. Mm. I, I know the city well, and I know myself within those contexts and boundaries. So it was about how can I do this sustainably, and how can I do this yeah, stealthily? And uh, a hammock buried up high in some trees in a city park somewhere will mean that no one can see you. Mm. And uh, then you can put on, jump out of the hammock, put on the collared shirt and a blazer, and you are, as far as anyone knows, a, a, another normal member of society, mm. which uh, opens up a lot of doors. Yeah, I, I've got to admit, I also love that about you. Um, you know, listeners in the studio here, Saul's wearing a fabulous suit jacket and all black, very Melbourne chic, and um, nose pierced, <laughs> nose pierced, beard, ragamuffin like vagabond. Any generic hipster man, in case anyone I was wondering. And that's part of the stealth, as you say, like that's blending into Melbourne culture. Mm. So it allows you doors open that you wouldn't get otherwise. But Yeah, um, yeah totally. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a white man, so um, mm. while I don't have a lot of the benefits that come with that like any money at all any job prospects or a family i feel pretty marginalized in many ways uh, i don't present as marginalized and i don't think of myself as marginalized so um yeah i will trade off my uh, my normie appearance mm -hmm. do you think that helps you when you've been on the street either like rough sleeping or even in your hammock you know that you'd be less likely to be approached because you know you're a built young man mm, yeah good question I'm not sure. I guess that um, it's kind of like I want to be between worlds, right? And mm. if you're in street life, then you relate to street people and you resist any authority figure. Mm. Uh, but that isn't my goal. I want to be as relatable to as many people as possible. Mm. Uh, I was worried when I started dressing a bit smarter uh, in kind of chapter two of Vagabonding 
that I would lose my affinity for the street people. Mm. Um, that hasn't happened. Like they still seem to see me as relatable. I guess uh, sleeping in the same park as them is the ultimate uh, bonding. <laughs> <laughs> yep, a trauma bond. <laughs> <laughs> trauma bond indeed. So can I ask, what do you think the most difficult thing you've found about being homeless? What would you say that is? Yeah, good question. I think that, uh, I was talking about this recently, I think that once you lose, you know, when life gets so minimal that it's like I don't have any bills, I don't have any debt, I don't have any responsibilities, I don't have any family, I have almost no possessions, then I have to define myself. And in a more traditional life, I could keep going to my job, or I could keep going to parties, and weeks and months can tick by, and I'd be somehow putting effort and energy into the nest egg. Hmm. Whereas without all of those comforts and luxuries and um, conceptions of self, there is no nest egg. So hmm. from minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day, I'm kind of facing the stark existential question of hmm. who am I? Who am I in the world? Hmm. I'm just a dude with a seven kilogram pack on his back and I can go wherever I want and do whatever I want. Hmm. So if I'm eating McDonald's in a food court, and then how did I get here? And is that really my choice? Mm. And why don't I do bigger and better things? You know? That's interesting. Yeah. So that freedom, uh, that existential crisis is kind of like a double-edged sword. Or, Very much so. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Yeah, it can be quite overwhelming. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> and yet you retain your affable nature. <laughs> uh, some days. <laughs> um, so I was going to ask you what caused your homelessness, but obviously we kind of covered that a little we bit. We did, did. Those damn Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, I suppose then that begs the question more generally, what do you think can contribute to homelessness in general, not just in your situation? Mm. Yeah, I was chatting to some uh, street people the other day and we were talking about our experiences in various dingy places from back crack alleys to uh, squat houses overrun by drugs. And uh, they were talking about... We were talk- We were relating in the darkness, of, you know, having seen like a a more cold world than most people might. Mm. And they were confused as to like, well, how do you know that if you've never been addicted to drugs? Uh, and I said, well, you know, my family. And they, they intruded with like, oh, your family abandoned you. Those are the two reasons. You mm. have mental illness perpetuated by drug abuse mm-hmm. or you have a fan, family which abandons mm. you, a loss of all support networks. Yeah, the family um, crisis, quote unquote. I don't think I've ever met anyone on the street that doesn't have one of those. Yeah, yep, 100%. And the sad fact of homelessness is the fact that support services are really difficult to access and usually that it's the more privileged who can sift through those those myriad of um, loopholes and administrative mm. crap, you know, just mm. to actually get the support services out there for a very underfunded, um, mm. yeah, Yeah, area. I guess... I guess, truthfully, part of my conception of being uh, a deliberate vagabond, someone that chooses to live this lifestyle consciously, uh, I wrote rules of uh, what that would be, and I live by those rules. And one of those rules was that I wouldn't avail myself of those services. Mm. I feel like, therefore, underprivileged people, people that need the help, and I don't think of mm. myself as needing that help. Is that because you know that you would have access to support if you really needed it? Um, yeah, 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 and I can do words, and I can do uh, mm. personability or amiability. I, I have skills that people that need those services mm. don't. Uh, and I guess, yeah, as well with that, that self-conception, I don't think of myself as a victim. Mm. And I think if I were to start availing myself of these uh, these generous handouts for people that need it, then maybe my paradigm of self would start to change and, and that's a slippery mm. slope that I don't want to embark upon. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting. I find it really interesting that you're in a situation, or perhaps even a privileged situation, that most homeless people aren't in having chosen it yourself, that, that really the b- biggest conundrum to you is how do you define yourself in this era without other variables to, to hinge off. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, mm. very true. Yeah, I feel like that's a struggle that most homeless people don't even get the privilege to undertake. You yeah, know? yeah, very true. I guess mm. between those two stints of uh, traditional homeless mm. uh, homelessness with uh, lots of mental health issues that mm. I was going through, and then the second reimagining of myself as a vagabond, doing it deliberately, mm. I went back to a normal life. I had a nice apartment in Surface Paradise. I had a job that paid well, mm. and. Uh, Got, got back there and just scraped my way up from the bottom of the barrel and made a normal life and then realised, oh, hell no, I don't want to do this at all. <laughs> I was born for different things. Ah, I love that. Okay, so maybe that's a perfect place to break up the juicy conversation and have a song. So I wanted Saul to choose something that he felt passionate about sharing in this context. In this context sorry. So Saul, what are we about to listen to and why have you chosen it? Oh, I've chosen it for so many reasons. We're about to listen to a band called Injury Reserve, mm-hmm. which are an independent American rap group. And the song is called TTKTV, which is an acronym. It stands for Time to Kill the Vibe. Uh, it's a song, I think that a lot of life on the road is about knowing when it's time to move on. Hmm. That's hard to know when the party's over. Hmm. Uh, so I've chosen it for those reasons. Of course, it's about a girl. And truthfully, some of my best stints traveling have been with women. Uh, so here is Time to Kill the Vibe. Enjoy. Hmm. So welcome back to The Sewer Show, folks. You're listening to 3CR, 855 AM or 3cr.org.au for live streaming, or you can check out the podcasts. We're doing it ourselves, taking over the airwaves to talk about the current systems of oppression because, as Emma Lazarus said, until all are free, no one is free. And we're back in the studio with Saul, vagabond extraordinaire. (laughs) Cute little giggle. If you say so. Oh, well, (laughs) I don't know. It does feel like there's this romantic air to vagabond that Mm. I just can't get over and there's this disconnect for me in terms of like talking about experiences of homelessness and, you know, this vagabond persona that you've carved out for yourself whilst suffering existential crisis around who you are. It's Mm. like a construction of identity Mm. that, you know, you're constantly reiterating. Yeah, and it feels like there's a huge legacy to that choosing to live without a home and Mm. the most obvious uh, brands of that are vagabond. Mm. But it feels like a lot of the uh, Eastern traditions of monks which have... uh, denounce society in order to find themselves or to mm. find a connection with nature. Yeah, it feels like there's a long, long lineage of people that have chosen to be more in the world than are in themselves. Mm. I really like it. Obviously, I romanticise alternatives such as those. But, mm. um, Me too. <laughs> and hence, we're friends. <laughs> um, so I'm curious to talk about, like you mentioned earlier, that your first sleeping bag um, – was given to you by another homeless man. And Mm. I know from past experience that you often, when you're updating your pack, so to speak, that you gift your resources onto other homeless people. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, like, what's been the biggest help for you on the streets? Has that sort of camaraderie between rough sleepers been something that's been helpful for you? Or or do you feel like you're more the the gifter rather than the giftee? Yeah, great question. Great question. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I definitely don't feel more like the gifter. Uh, I, I can I can get things, material possessions, and pass them on to whoever. But uh, I'm pretty detached from thinking that material possessions have much value other than the warmth they'll give you on a cold night or a, a bit of an upper of a coffee. Um, yeah, I guess I guess the human experience. You know, I guess that. Um, in going around and talking to people, then um, I would talk. I spoke to a, a pilot in the, in the Brisbane streets who was uh, waiting for his next flight out of town that he was flying the plane on. And uh, we had a great conversation. So he about, was homeless? No. No, he, not at all. Not even close. So. I had lots yeah. of money. <laughs> we had a good conversation about love and his kids and why he does what he does. I spoke to a man in Melbourne who had been a, a drunk poet in this city for 30 years, part of the uh, the foundations of the place. He was 
passed out in front of a pump and I was on the way to a date. So I cancelled that date because he was much more interesting and it was much more romantic. Um, I guess I guess the constant affirmation that I belong in the world. Naturally, the world isn't a scary place, which is going to eat me up. All aspects of it have uh, have some sense of belonging there for me. So those connections, that create that created sense of self-belonging, that's one of the things that you find really helps get you through. Yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. A bit of a mantra I've held on to is, is the city holds me. Mm. And uh, that's quite hard to remember that. You know, there's a kind of an ineffable construct of I feel down, I feel out of it, I feel disconnected. Mm. And if I go into the city, I don't know what will happen. I don't know when it will happen. I don't know who I meet. But I know that in some context, the city always holds me. She hasn't let me down yet. Like, I need to go and be in society to feel like I have a place. Mm, beautifully said. Uh, I love your attitude around it. A lot of people find the city cold, austere, and disconnected, whereas it seems you find it entirely the opposite. Not my city. Yeah, not your city. <laughs> um, so the obvious elephant in the room, how do you think being a socialized male or a person that was raised male has affected your experience of homelessness? Mm. Mm. You spoke a little bit about it, but I'm curious. Yeah, there's obvious uh, physical benefits to that. I'm mm. like a six foot one and 100 kg, so I think there's some kind of a that can be physically imposing, I guess. Uh, when needed. Uh, yeah. yeah, when needed. Mm. I, I don't think I've ever really needed that. Mm. But uh, the ability that I can rely on that, rely, um, that gives me some comfort. Mm. I've met in my time, I've met one woman who was living a, a vagabond life. Mm. and uh, One woman out of all of the... Yeah, living in, a, living in a hammock and living deliberately as a homeless person mm. uh, in, a, in a similar fashion to me. And I think that the question I get asked often in sleeping, especially in the street, uh, in the cities, in the parks and whatnot, is like, oh, is it, is it dangerous? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and no, it's really not dangerous. <laughs> um, it can be quite hard to get over the anxiety on a cold night thinking someone's going to come and jack your stuff. But that's never happened, never come even close. And I'd wondered if that was my experience as a socialized male, as you say. Mm. I spoke to this woman. And she had the same experience, that the world wasn't as scary as people think it is. Even mm. for a woman, she felt a sense of belonging. And natural fact, being a, a woman meant that she would come across men that see her as a, as a daughter or as a sister. And she had a, like a level of care from them for that. And, and I've certainly had the same feelings. Mm, the kindness with strangers that yeah. you've been a privy to. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting. And um, obviously we're in Australia, so um, class... Yeah. Ethnicity. I'm curious around, mm. like, you present as someone who I suppose is more middle to upper class. So mm. I feel as though you might not necessarily come up against the oppression or um, disadvantage that others might. Yeah, very much so. Very much mm. so. I can easily jump a train. I can easily uh, get a little bit of food. Mm. Uh, these are things which are not options for black people in this country. Mm. Um, they're just on the radar, whether they like mm. it or not. So I'm really grateful for you know, the privilege that I have in that context. Mm. And even those with, that have less um, or more visible mental health situations, mm. drug addictions, it's very hard to fly under the radar in those yeah. situations. And yeah. it, it's harder to avail yourself of services as well. Or, yeah, very true. Yeah, people's um, paternalism seems to kick in when they see someone on the street who they think could be doing better. Mm. They see themselves as downtrodden mm. or that they project that downtrodden, unlucky mm. characteristics onto mm. someone who could just lift, them, lift themselves up by their socks. Or yeah, yeah. Those old adages that feel quite bullshit. Yeah, I've, I noticed an interesting dichotomy. I was travelling with uh, a young woman uh, for a few months, a good friend. And I noticed that we would come across like these really Aussie guys. We were up on uh, the far north, you know, like a real uh, Australian culture up there. Mm. And they would be chauvinistic and demeaning about her to me when she wasn't around. Mm. And then they'd be fatherly and welcoming and warm to her when she was around. Interesting. Um, Of course, they could have had 
to uh, two different faces and been lying to both of us. But I don't think that's the case. I think people are complicated mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and dichotomous by their being. So I think that these things exist somewhat simultaneously. That mm. yeah, we do have a culture which is very uh, chauvinistic, but we mm. and uh, and racist. But I mean, uh, it's also not those things. Also, humanism is still a huge factor, and, and people relate to humanism more than they relate to most anything. So you think with those men when they were sort of treating her. Um, with sort of fatherly affection or whatnot, that that was a genuine felt experience for them that kicked in when they were actually with them. Yeah. But when they weren't face-to-face with her, they yeah. were able to be more reductionist or objectifying. I think that they would struggle to relate to me in my context, in, in the context of my relationship with her outside of objectifying her. So the idea that I would be yeah. travelling the country with a young, beautiful woman, then uh, the elephant in the room is wherever I'm sleeping with her. So I think that they would struggle to talk to me about, like, oh, do you have a, a fondness and a tenderness to her like she's mm. a sister? You know, these are harder conversations mm. to have. Mm. I think that's what it is. And I think that when she was around, it came much more naturally to just completely diffuse any kind of sexual desire because they didn't see her that way. Mm. Uh, while they could kind of logically see that she was attractive, they didn't feel that because they saw a poor young girl on the street that uh, needed the help, needed a lift, needed a bit of food. Mm. Mm. Yep. That's that male bonding, isn't it, mm. as well? Mm. Um, wow. There's so much to this. We could keep going on, but maybe we'll play a community service announcement and come back to chatting with Saul. And, um, later on, we'll have another interview with Mills if we get time. Um, but stay tuned. Yeah, I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society. And I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. So welcome back to The Sewer Show on 3CR. A um, little pause just to pay respects. As many of you would know, the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, died today. Powerful singer, activist and force of nature. We wanted to honour her and her contribution to music and the world at large. And if you're listening to radio today, you'll notice that the airwaves have been entirely taken over with Aretha and we're not, we're not missing out on that one. <laughs> so here is her stellar song, Respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Ah, the beautiful, mighty Aretha. Wonderful. Wonderful. Rest in peace. Um, so, oof, I could keep talking to you for hours, all, and undoubtedly we will, but sadly you listeners don't get that, that <laughs> we got pleasure. got decades of talking, much <laughs> Um, so thank you so much for coming in and sharing awesome. your experiences. It's so awesome. We hope to have you back again in the future. Oh, I love talking about myself. The bigger <laughs> the audience, the better. It's really fun. Thank you. It's you making the man, yes. <laughs> the man I'm making. The man you're making, your catch cry. <laughs> um, so here's another CSA from 3CR, and stay tuned for our interview with Mills. The Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is continuing its Stop Failing Our Kids campaign until this year's Victorian state election. 
We're asking people to sign an online petition and to send postcards to Premier Daniel Andrews, calling for his government to abandon plans to build a $288 million youth prison at Cherry Creek. We want that money directed to culturally appropriate programs to address the underpinning issues rather than incarcerating children. For more information and to sign the petition, visit Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Postcards are available at 3CR and locations listed at istramelbourne.com. Premier, it's time your government stopped failing the kids. Istra Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. I'm in the studio today interviewing Mills. Hey, Mills. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's great to have you in. Oh, good to be here. Um, so today on the show, we're talking about homelessness, and Mills has been really generous with their time to come in and answer a few questions. Um, so yeah, you're good to go? Yeah, I'm good to go. Cool. Well, do you want to just start off by telling us a bit about your experience of homelessness? Oh, yeah. All right. That's a broad question. <laughs> yep. Um, I guess I've been experiencing homeless on and off, but homelessness on and off, but mostly on since the start of uh, 2015. Um, it's mostly been couch surfing and living in activist camps and squats and stuff. Um, there have been some periods of time where I was sleeping in a car or sleeping rough, um, but mostly that's not been my experience. Um, yeah, I had a pretty difficult situation growing up and um, one day when I was 20 and I just finished a TAFE course and was living back at home and not enjoying it, I um, moved to the Laird Blockade. I just went there for um, for a convergence called Bat Attack and um, I arrived there and thought that everyone there was so like kind and calm and reasonable, which um, I think says something about the experience I was coming from. And that I was never going to go back. And, you know, I spent a lot of time being a, you know, cool, feral activist, like going from every camp and convergence to the next one. And I think it took me a while to realise that that was actually homelessness and that it wasn't a choice and that while I really did care about these people and these campaigns and social change and our communities and our world... I was not doing this, like, as a choice. Mm. Like, building these social networks and going to every convergence and blockade <laughs> was, like, really survival. And, yeah, I think, you know, I, I managed to make it work for a while and then when I started to get, you know, a bit traumatised and burnt out by the intense stuff that happens in activism and needed to take a step back from it, I, I realised how homeless I was, like how, like, in my upbringing and in my adult life, which had all been, like, activism, I'd never gained, like, the skills and the capital that you need to, like, maintain, like, a stable home and a meaningful life in a city or a town. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I was really at a loss and really, like, mentally ill for quite a long time, which I still kind of am. <laughs> um, yeah, lots of stuff's happened. Moved around a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, my, my experience of homelessness is a pretty broad thing. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I guess that's something that people often forget 
like the I don't know movie idea of homelessness is that you're sleeping in a garbage bag next to a servo like it's not when in reality it's just not having a stable house yeah um according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics which is the only government thing I could find with a idea of homelessness it's um having housing that is non-existent inadequate or unsafe so like mm. if you're in DV you're considered homeless you know yeah. yeah 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 definitely yeah it's yeah it's probably it's heaps more common than people think and it's really yeah. interesting how for you you didn't realize that that was your situation <laughs> Probably because you're just going along with a norm that, you know, a lot of activists do move from place to place. But I wonder how many people just do that because it's like, oh, yep, a place to stay. Yeah. <laughs> These are my friends. They're mm. lovely. It's you know. both, hey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's sincere work. I wasn't just trying to – and my friends who have also been like that aren't just trying to, like, use communities for – Yeah. Not that there's – oh, that's still a really conservative way to put it, right? Like, using communities, that's like – to support yourself, it like actually could be friends looking after each other. Yeah. But even then, people also sincerely want to do the activist work they're doing. Definitely, I guess it's that point when you are like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And then if you, you have a choice or not. You've got to, yeah, it's like keep on doing it or die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's, Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, I guess another question I had for you um, is your experiences of the services around it. Because, um, you know, there's a lot of services out there. The government tells us all the time, oh, yeah, we're doing this and we're doing that. Um, but what's the actual on the ground? Hey, I really actually want some help. Um, well, I mean, I'm lucky in the sense that even though the place that I came from didn't give me the skills that you need to survive, like, neoliberal capitalism and a colonial state, um, it did give me, like, you know, the capacity for critical thinking and, um, you know, like, a middle-class voice and the ability to advocate for myself and the people around me. Like, I'm very lucky and... There are really good services out there that will do the best they can for you, but the reality is the majority of services out there, in my experience, just seem to like be there to like give you the minimum that they're obliged to mm. and move you on to the next service. Um, you spend a lot of time getting moved between people and you end up doing weeks of work that you could have done like that you could have been doing like survival work in mm. just like getting to an appointment and then presenting yourself to another service and then going through a triage line for like a homelessness or mental health service and it can take you a really long time to get to good people and right now I'm really lucky I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out with Front Yard which is a youth homelessness place in the city that I'm, I'm eligible for for another year mm. and um they're really good. They're, like, just as radical as the people that I went to blockades with. They're really kind. I'm pretty sure a lot of them are queer. And, um, like, they're, they're tangibly helping me. Like, today we organised to, um, yeah, get me, like, a really good therapist that I know and that I've seen before and get funding for her to be on private practice for me. 
Uh, but we also spent like two whole days trying to get through to triage services to get me mm. like into community mental health and it wasn't possible. So maybe e- just quickly describe yeah. what triage is. If anyone's uh, listening, they don't, it's a big word. Triage, <laughs> triage is a serve. Triage is what you call, I don't, I don't know what it, what the, what the definition of it is, uh, mm. but in my experience, they're the people that you call, uh, who will assess you, uh, for something like a mental health or a homelessness service, yeah. um, to like assess whether, yeah, you're suitable for them and they're suitable for you. Yeah. Okay. But oh. it's hard to even get onto it's them. Hard. Yeah. So like right now I have really good people working with me to help me out and, you know, they need to work with other services and they are finding it really challenging to help me and the other people mm. that need help actually get into these services because of waiting lists and like gatekeepers. Like it's, mm. it's, it's actually insane. Like even if you get like good social workers from a Google organization, they need to work with other social workers and that's just like people mm. aren't really there to help. Well, and I guess what you were saying before, it's kind of this thing of, yeah, each of these services probably doesn't have enough money and so they're trying to give you the minimum that they can. Yeah. Um, and, of course, obviously there's good people inside those services but there's also people that just want to do the job and go home. Yeah. And so that must be endlessly frustrating to... Well, yeah, there are good people that have been institutionalised to mess people over. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's frustrating. I went, to, I went to try to see launch housing the other day um, and I went to Collingwood because I, like, I grew up in Fitzroy and Clifton Hill and like that's where I'm from and like, you know, been priced out of the area or priced mm-hmm. out of any area, but priced <laughs> out of the area because of gentrification. And um, my healthcare card says Preston because I just used a mate's place for settling. And the lady that was just trying to like, uh-uh. get out like my secret that I had a historical attachment to Preston and just asking me all these questions about Preston and my healthcare card address in Preston. And at one point I was just like, you need to stop talking about Preston. This is a false address. Like yeah. I just need something for Centrelink. This is like inappropriate behavior. And she just got really upset and told me to go to front yard and turned that front yard's great. <laughs> but, um, One of the best pieces of, of advice. But. Yeah. She was just like, you need to go away. Yeah. I wasn't even being like angry. I was just being very clear like this, yeah. stop going down this line. And yeah. She didn't like that. Yeah. Well, I guess, <laughs> I don't know. I wonder how much training people have. And if your training is saying, you know, get people out. Like even for me going to my job seeker appointments on Newstart, like you can see how they're trained to tell you, no, you have to get a full-time job, anything else that you do. And like, oh, you've been on it for a year and a half. Therefore, no, I'm going to find you a job in hospital. It's like, whoa, you have not been trained to see me as a person that has wants in life and is trying certain things. You've been trained to see me as a number of like, I need to tick this box. And I find it, it, it's kind of really intense because like, or weird because, so I went to an adult service because I was worried that I might need ongoing support mm. and that I was going to age out because I knew about Front Yard. Now it's going to, I'm yeah. going to age out of it in about like 17 months. Yeah. No, less than 17 months, like 14. Mm. Um, and so I didn't go there and like the adult service was just nothing. It was just like pathetic. And then I got a Front Yard, this youth service and it's amazing. And same thing with my mental health. Like I tried to go to Northern area mental health care and they were like, you do not have psychosis. We are not there for you. Like that overt. 
And then I went to a place called Origin Youth Health and mm. they were really good for me. And it's like, like this weird thing where like you have to be under 25 to get good care in like social work or mental health. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, like I'm almost 24 and I'm just like really starting. I'm lucky that I'm doing it now, but I mean, yeah. back to like the adult services do what you were saying with the job service, just try to make you go away and not see mm. you as a person. Like, I, know, I understand that there are uh, community health and public health reasons for putting more into young people because then they take less out of the system later. But yeah, I also think that people over 25 matter just as much. <laughs> They're human beings. Oh, no, yeah. radical. <laughs> yeah, radical. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, that's so... Fr- I mean, it's, yeah... I mean, it's the privatisation of everything. I wonder how it was. I mean, I guess it's always probably been an underfunded system, but it's just, it's just insane. It would, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're not. I mean, and this system is kind of getting privatised too. Like, it's still NGOs and government uh, organisations, mm. but the solutions are all pretty much private housing, like the wait lists for public community and social housing, which are all slightly different things, yeah. are like blown out to years. Yeah. So all that people are able to do is either put you in a shelter for the night, which a lot of homeless people don't need. Like if they're mm. in inadequate situations, they need support to get into adequate situations, but they don't need emergency housing. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it, it's a very yeah. small percentage of homeless people that actually are sleeping rough. Yeah. And so that's not going to help a lot of people, especially when the conditions are what you have to like be in there by some time at night and then they kick you out in the morning. It's... Yeah. <laughs> You've got to do that again the next day, every day. Like that's exhausting. <laughs> but uh, and from what I've heard, I haven't done it. You need to go or you often need to go through shelters to start getting like intensive case management if you're with an adult service, which yeah. is like really hectic, but they don't tell you that. You know, because yeah. I might like, I don't want to go to a shelter. They don't seem very pleasant. But, mm. um, you know, I might go to a shelter for a few nights to get into like a decent service, but they're not going to tell me that, are they? Yeah. Because, you know, they're pathway. <laughs> Apparently, in New South Wales, they put you in hotels, according to one case manager. I don't know if that's true, but oh, someone wow. I talked to there said that. That <laughs> would be nice. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. just walking down. Walking down the street in Tweed Heads, yeah. and a lady stopped me and said they'd put her in hotels until they found her something else. Whoa! Yeah, I don't know whether she had a baby or something, but it happened. Yeah, those Tweed Heads, like maybe there's something about bigger cities, smaller cities. Yeah, maybe it's easier to get into. Tweed Heads is part of the Gold Coast culturally, but it's oh, okay. New South Wales, so it's yeah. not part of the city. Yeah, yeah true. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, well, I wish we had more time to go in more depth <laughs> about all of that because it's so fascinating. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess as a last question, what's been the most difficult thing, like, in terms of all of this? Like, is it the services or, like, it's mental health? Like, I guess for me personally... I've got this situation going on that the people at Front Yard and stuff are trying to help me with where I have like mental health issues like a personality disorder and a mood disorder and a trauma history um, along with not having enough money which 
in late stage capitalism we call unemployment mm. and homelessness. And I, I feel like they're like balancing in like perfect unpleasant equilibrium. Like mm. they just, the two, you know, each one keeps the other ones down a bit. And I think for me, every time I've managed to start getting one of those things sorted, the other two have kind of came and kicked it down. Yeah. And so the hardest thing is trying to prioritize what I need to get sorted, to get the other two sorted, and then maintain that while I've got the pressures of the other two situations going on. Yeah. Um, that's a huge challenge. Yeah. Like, it's really hard to deal with your mental health when you're homeless. It's really hard to maintain a home when you have no money. It's really hard to get a job when you're crazy and homeless. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the society we have set up isn't. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, not... no. You're not meant to fall down. There's no way back up. Yeah. I mean, there is, but they're long and convoluted and confusing and crowded. And it's also you're not going to get support. Well, it sounds extremely difficult to get the support that you need, especially in a long-term situation, which is, you know, yeah. basically the only way to deal with this stuff. You can't fix it by being put in a shelter and yeah. given a loaf of bread. Every service has, like, a really small catchment area. So, like, if you move, which you do when you're homeless, like... Yeah. People move cities, but even if you move suburbs, you're suddenly, like, even and you're sleeping out there, you're suddenly no longer eligible for yeah. your previous service. So you've got to, like, like somehow, like, work out the parameters. Of these. They don't all overlap. So, like, your mental health service and your homelessness service might have different parameters that, like, oh. prove to them that you're staying inside that, you know? It's hectic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, well, thanks so much for giving us all of that insight. Um, and yeah, hopefully also some tips for anybody out there struggling with similar things. It's be under twenty-five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. If you're under twenty-five, it can be easier. But also, yeah, you've got to advocate really, really hard. Yeah, and you need to have capacity to do that. Yeah, which is really difficult. Yeah, it is. Um. But, yeah, thanks so much for sharing that with us. Um, and, yeah, for those listeners, um, if you stick around and listen for a little while longer, Mills has written a poem, which I think is amazing. And so stay tuned for that later on in the show. Okay, thanks so much, Mills. Welcome back to the Sewer Show. I'm Suze from Doing It Ourselves. And just before the CSA there, that was Anissa interviewing Mills. Um, both Mills and Saul spoke today on their experiences of homelessness and obviously such different experiences at that. There's so much more that we could go into and cover on this topic. We barely went into squatting and we'll have to come back to that because, of course, we are the Squatters and Unwaged Airwaves show, so no doubt that's a to-be-continued. Um, unfortunately, we're not, we're not going to get a chance to do Mills's poem today, which I'm really sorry. Shout out to Mills. Sorry about that. But we will include it on our podcast. So that incentivizes all of you to track this down on 3cr.org.au and hear Mills's poem. Um, as Anissa said, it's really awesome. And just in general, listeners, if you are homeless or at risk of being homeless or know someone who is homeless that you want to help support, there are obviously services out there which, you know, some find more helpful than others, but at the very least we want to inform you. There are crisis accommodation and support services such as Melbourne Youth Support Service, Mary Outreach Support Service, Launch Housing South Bank Crisis Accommodation and many more. Jump onto one of those free Wi-Fi booths that you find around the city and seek out support, please. 
There's also Lifeline and Beyond Blue and other mental health support organisations. There's Gamblers Anonymous and alcohol and drug services available free of charge across Australia to support you if you're in need. There's also some peak bodies and resource hubs which might be helpful in this situation as well. So the Council to Homeless Persons, the CHP, or the Homeless Persons Union, Victoria. Please know that you are not alone and seek support if you are in need. Thank you so much to all of you for tuning in on such an important issue. And thanks to Anissa for the interview and to Mills and Saul for sharing their stories. And just quickly before we leave, we wanted to give you a selection of political and radical events that are coming up in Melbourne. So tonight from 6.30, there is the Cancel Violence Against Women fundraiser at the Evelyn Hotel. That's on tonight, so get on down there for obviously a good cause. And on the 25th of August, Quit Coal is having a really big fundraiser to support their new energy justice campaign. You can find the event and more info on Quit Coal's Facebook page. And on the 28th of August at the New International Bookstore at Trades Hall, there is a talk that looks really interesting. It's called, very provocatively, Digital Tech for Planet and People Rather Than the Privileged. Looks juicy. Get on down to Nibs for that one. And on the 30th of August, Earthworker Cooperative are hosting a screening for A Silent Transformation, which is a film about the transformative power of the cooperative model. You can find out more details on Facebook through the Earthworker page. And just before we go, I'd like to put a little spruik out for our own show or specifically for 3CR. We're still trying to raise funds to help 3CR stay on the air every year. We fundraise to make this happen because it's a community-run station. So if you can, call up and pledge some of your money or go online and donate at 3cr.org.au. Every little bit helps and you'll be supporting community, community radio produce radical, diverse and quality content much like this. So thank you all again today for listening and for tuning into such an important issue. We'll see you next time on The Sewer Show. I'm trying to get to sleep on the beach in Byron and a guy's been following me. He catches up to me, shows me his bloody finger, tells me he just avoided being locked up by the cops. He's lucky they didn't search him because of all of the knives in his bag. He offers to show me all of the knives in his bag. He moves on when he realises that I just want to sleep. I consider finding a better spot. The coast around here is on the Pacific, and Pacific means peace in Latin, and I'm thinking that strange men at ni- with knives at night might not be a different thing from a conception of peace. So I stay. But in the morning I'm okay, and it's raining. The ocean that I grew up in is more just a southern ocean, and south just means down. But the universe has no concept of down. There's no fundamental point of reference, so all movement of bodies only happens in relativity to other movement of bodies. I feel like life is a process of putting ourselves back together again. If we expect to get there, I feel like we might just be giving ourselves more problems, but so many guys on Grindr have fit, sane and sorted in their profiles. We are expected to make it, and I think it's just an aesthetic thing. We live underneath oceans and currents and call it air and space. My first word was birdies, and I admire birds for knowing that we live within fluid, catching it, holding their space through it. I believe I can take the place where the sea and the sky meet, float on my face and flip the world so I'm floating on my back at the top of an atmosphere ocean. I can learn to breathe salt water. 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.